0: Gospel is the good news, and and here's what I want you to remember this morning the grace of God is the good news you need. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Morning, church. Uh, my name is Luke. If we've not met, I'm one of the ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church. We love being together. If you're joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you're here, and we hope that you'll join us here in person soon. Everybody, if you would, open your Bibles with me this morning to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two is where we're going to be. Uh, like Kyle said, we're walking through this series together as a church through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is in your New Testament. That's the back half of your Bible, and it's actually more of a letter than it is a book. It's a book. It's a letter written by this guy named Paul, who is one of the leaders of the early church to a group of Christians in the Roman Empire in the city of Ephesus. And we're calling this series together, Sit, Walk, Stand. And so last week we talked about how the Christian life always starts with sitting. It starts with sitting and and that right now, at this very moment, Jesus himself is sitting down. That Jesus is seated, the Bible says, because the work of saving us from our sins has been completely accomplished. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, and when the work is done, you sit down. And so right now, at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, Jesus himself is sitting down. And for us, the Christian life starts with sitting. Not by saying, hey, do this, but by saying, hey, it has already been done. And so last week, we talked about how you know, a lot of us grew up with parents who said things to us like, hey, don't just sit there, do something, right? And, and we probably needed to hear that growing up. But now Jesus is saying to us as a church, he's saying, don't just do something, sit there just sit there and enjoy what I have done for you. And so the Christian life always starts with sitting, by resting in what Jesus has accomplished. And from there, then we can walk. We can walk the walk of faith, and we can stand. We can stand against the enemy. Sit, walk, stand. And today, we're just going to walk right down through Ephesians chapter two together, verse by verse, and and we're going to talk about sitting under God's grace, resting in the grace of God. Now, as Christians, we talk a lot about the gospel. That's a word you're gonna hear a lot. And that's just a big fancy church word that means good news. Say good news. Good news. Good news. The gospel is the good news. And, and here's what I want you to remember this morning. The truth that I believe with all my heart is this. The grace of God is the good news you need. I'm telling you, if you hear one thing I say this morning, hear that. The grace of God is the good news you need. Now, would you join me in prayer before we walk down through God's word together? Our Father in heaven, uh, we're so thankful that you are a living God, that these are not just stories in some dead book about some stuff that happened a long time ago, but that everything we see here is a reflection of who you are that tells us what you still wanna do in the present and what you will do in the future, that you are a living God and that you are still a speaking God. And so we ask that you'd speak to us today through your people, through your word, through your spirit, and that you would give us open ears and soft hearts. We are your servants. We are here to listen to you. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter two, we're just gonna start right in verse one, and this is the gospel. This is the good news. I'm gonna read the words in white, and I want you to read out loud the words in yellow. Ephesians chapter two, verse one, here we go. Paul says, as for you, you were in your transgressions and sins. Now stop right there, that doesn't sound like very good news, does it? But before we can understand just how good the good news is, we know have to know just how bad the bad news is, and Paul says that the bad news is that we were dead in our sin. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, this is an uncomfortable truth, but it is the truth, you are dead in your sin. And it's not just that we made some mistakes and we needed a better self-help strategy and it's not just that we did some things we're not proud of and so now we have to do some nice, good things to try to make up for it. It's that our entire nature was corrupted to such a degree that we were utterly unable to fix ourselves, dead. Paul would say later on in verse 12 that we are without hope and without God in the world. On our own, we're dead. That sounds like dead to me. (laughs) I I have a preacher friend. Uh, Who every Sunday morning before church, he goes to the cemetery. Seems a little morbid, and it is a little morbid, but he preaches to the gravestones there. And he practices his sermon to remind himself that without Christ, every single one of us is dead. We're dead in our sin. Paul continues in verse 12, he says, "'You are dead in your transgressions and sins "'in which you used to live "'when you followed the ways of this world "'and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, "'the spirit who is now at work "'in those who are disobedient. "'All of us also lived among them at one time,' gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Now every single one of us, we have all been guilty of living for ourselves, right? Of, of following our cravings rather than our creator. And because of that, Paul says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Deserving of wrath, that's a difficult truth It's an uncomfortable reality, though, that we have to acknowledge that you and I, on our own, deserve nothing from God except wrath. And God is a God of wrath. Now, if you want God to judge the wickedness in this world, and I hope you do, If you want God to stand up against the evil that is wreaking havoc on the people that he loves, then that means that God has to be a God of wrath, right? And and that's a good thing because God's wrath is a part of God's love. Just like a mother has wrath against the cancer that is killing her child. She has wrath because she has love. But in order for God to judge the evil in the world, he also has to judge the evil that's in each of us. And so that leaves us here, like Paul said, each of us deserving of wrath. Now that's bad news, right? But here's the good news, verse four. Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Yeah, we were dead. But our God is a God of resurrection. I don't know if you just heard that. Can I get an amen? God's a God of resurrection. Yeah, and he loves bringing dead things to life. It's his specialty. And, And why did he do it? Well, not because of our church attendance. Not because we were pretty nice people. Not because he thought we were talented and he needed our help. Not because he thought, oh, maybe they're not so bad. After all, they deserve another shot. No, God brought us to life because of his great love, Paul says, and verse six says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us. In Christ Jesus. Now here, here is the heart of the gospel. This is the core of it all. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you believe in him, you put your faith in him, your trust in him, you turn away from yourself and your sin, you are made new in the waters of baptism and his Holy Spirit comes to live within you, you experience union with Christ. Say that, say union with Christ. Union with Christ. And that means that what is true of Jesus becomes true of you. It's like this dollar bill, right? I've got this dollar bill. Now let's say that I take this dollar and I put it inside of this book. I put the dollar inside this book. Now the fate of this dollar has become inseparately bound up with the fate of this book. That means that if I take the book home, the dollar goes home with it. And if I put the book in a lockbox, the dollar is safe too. And if I burn the book, the dollar gets burned up too. And I go to jail for committing a federal offense, right? <laughs> like, like what is true of the dollar or of the book becomes true of the dollar. And the same thing is true with us. What, what is true of Jesus becomes true of you when you are in Christ. The Bible says that when you are baptized, you are buried with him. And we are crucified with him. And then when you come up out of those waters, you are raised with him. And, and Paul said, we talked about last week, that right now at this very moment, we are seated with him, and then when Jesus comes back, we're gonna be resurrected like him, and right now, we are safe with him. You have union with Christ. This is amazing. Paul wants you to know that if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, Christ is in you, and you are in him. Now, that's that's a mystery. We could try to mine the depths of that for months and never come to the bottom of it, but here's what I wanna talk about specifically. How does that happen? How do we get that? Paul says in verse eight, look at this. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul knows us, doesn't he? (laughs) He knows that if we could take any little shred of credit for our own salvation, we would do it. And the good news is, we can't because that means that even if we falter, God doesn't. You know, sometimes when I hear people talk about faith, they talk about faith as if even faith is a work. I'll hear people say things like, man, I'm just in this season where my faith is weak, and and they start to wonder if my faith is weak, am am I in jeopardy of losing my salvation? Now hear me, let's be very clear. The Bible says that if you do not continue in faith, you can lose your salvation, but ultimately, Our salvation is not dependent on the greatness of our faith, but on the grace of our God. It's like an airplane, right? I love flying. I think flying is the most awesome thing on the planet. Like you are on a chair in the sky, hurtling through the air at 300 miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the ground. You can go across the world in a matter of hours and you get snacks to boot. Like it's awesome. I can't get enough of it, right? But... I get there are some people who don't really like the idea of flying. So while I'm on the airplane there, munching on my peanuts and my pretzels and my window seat, looking out, enjoying the view, having the time of my life, the person in the seat next to me, they're gripping the armrest, they're keeping their seatbelt on the whole time, no matter what that light says, and any little bump of turbulence, they think we are going down. But even if my faith in that airplane happens to be bigger than theirs, Does that get me any further than it gets them? No, we both get to the same place, right? Because my transportation to the destination is not dependent on the greatness of my faith, but on the strength of the object that I put my faith in, right? The object of your faith is more important than the amount of your faith. I could have a great amount of faith this morning that if I strap some feathers on my wings and flap my arms real hard, I'll fly across the ocean, but I can promise you it's not gonna end well. The object of your faith is more important than the amount of your faith, and I hope today, I hope that all of your faith, whether it's a big amount or a small amount in this season, I hope that all of it is in the God who made you And the God who sent his son to save you because you will not be saved because of who you are. You will be saved because of who he is. We said earlier that God is a God of wrath and that's true and that's good actually. But look what else God is. At this text we just read, Paul says that God is a God of great love. A God who is rich in mercy. A God who wants to express his kindness to us a God who's rich in grace. The grace of God is the good news you need. And this is the good news that God wants us to sit in and to rest in and to come back to over and over and over again. We never move on from this. The grace of God. We never stop needing the gospel. We never graduate from grace And I'm convinced that one of the lies Satan wants to tell us as a church, particularly right here in the buckle of the Bible belt, right, one of the things he would love to do to our church is to drag our heart away from the gospel just a little bit. To get us to move on from here. Because if Satan can get you to to, to get up and to forget your desperate need daily for the grace of God, then he's yanked the foundation right out from under you. And he's got you right where he wants you. And a lot of the time, for us as Christians, you know, our greatest danger to hearing the gospel is thinking that we already know what it says. Because we hear this story every week, right? But man, if you drift even a little bit from recognizing that the desperate thing we need every single day is the grace of God. Satan can do it a lot of different ways. He can do it through busyness. He can do it through pride. He can do it through fear. He can do it with a difficult person in your life. He can do it with doubt. He can do it with success. He can do it with curiosity about some other theological topics. He can do it from shame over your sin or your past. And if he can do that, if he can make you forget how desperately you need the grace of God, then he's got you right where he wants you. But no matter how long you've been in the faith today, the grace of God is always the good news that you need most. J.D. Greer, he's a preacher that I like, he says, he says the gospel is not the diving board. The gospel is the swimming pool. (laughs) The grace of God isn't just what gets us in, it's the whole ball game. We never move on from the gospel. We only go deeper into it. And so in light of that, in light of the fact that the grace of God is always the good news that we need, I just wanna tell you what the grace of God has done for you. I just wanna remind you for the rest of our time together this morning of who you are in Christ. So if you would, rewind with me. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one here, because at the beginning of the letter, right after the greeting, Paul just kind of launches into praising God for what God has done through us, to us uh, through Jesus. Jesus. And, and this whole thing, verses three through 14, is one long run-on sentence in the Greek, 202 words. Paul would get an F minus in grammar, right? But he gets an A plus in worship. And this is dense, hang in, hang in with me though. Paul says this, verses three through six. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. Here's who you are in Christ, Paul says. In Jesus, you are adopted. You are adopted There's an old preacher by the name of Fred Craddock who tells a story of one time when he and his wife went on vacation down to Tennessee, and they were eating lunch there at a local restaurant, just enjoying the quiet, the two of them on a little getaway together, just enjoying each other's presence. When they saw this esteemed, dignified-looking, white-haired, elderly gentleman in the restaurant, they're kind of moving from table to table, greeting the patrons of the restaurant, and Fred Craddock whispered to his wife, he said, man, we... We came here to get away from the crowds. I really hope that guy didn't come over here. Anybody else, can you identify with that feeling? Introverts, anybody else in the room? All right. But sure enough, eventually the guy comes over and he stops at their table. and says, oh, where are you folks from? And Craddock says, well, we're, we're from Oklahoma. He said, well, welcome to Tennessee, we're glad to have you. What do you do for a living? Frank Craddock said, I, I teach at a seminary. He said, oh, <laughs> you teach preachers how to preach, huh? Well, boy, have I got a story for you. And he pulled up a chair, sat down right there at the table. For Great, just what I need, another preacher's story, you know? The man pointed out the window. He said, do you see that mountain over there? Many years ago, not far from the base of that mountain, there was a young girl, unmarried, who gave birth to a son, and by the time the son was age six, the Mom was having just such a difficult time in her life that she had to give her son up and send him to an orphanage there. And the boy's life was really hard in those early years because everywhere he went, people just asked him that same terrible question over and over. Young man, who's your daddy? And he didn't have an answer and it just made his life horrible. At school, the kids would say terrible things to him, so he sat by himself in the lunchroom, tried to avoid the other kids at at recess. But the boy always loved going to church. Of course, he would come in late and he would leave early so he didn't have to talk to anybody. But but one Sunday morning when the boy was about 12 years old, the, the service just ended so quickly and abruptly that the boy, he didn't have time to get out of the church building before everybody else. And so he just got caught there exiting the church in the center aisle with everybody else. And to the boy's horror, when he got to the back door of the church building, there was the preacher. And the preacher put his hand down on the boy's shoulder and looked him in the eyes. He said, son, Who is your daddy? And the boy's heart just sunk and everybody around him grew deathly quiet because he didn't have an answer. Then the preacher said, oh, wait. I see the family resemblance. Boy, you're a child of God. And he slapped the boy on the behind and said, get out of here, son, you've been adopted. Go claim your inheritance. (laughs) And the old man got up from the table with a twinkle in his eye pushed his chair in as he started to leave. He said, you know, if that preacher hadn't told me that I was one of God's children, I don't know that I ever would've amounted to anything in life. Well, by this point, Fred Craddock had gotten over being grumpy and he was deeply moved by this whole experience and so he asked the waitress, he said, who who is that man over there? She said, oh him, everybody knows him. He lives right down the road. That's Ben Hooper, former governor of Tennessee. (laughs) You have been adopted, and I believe that that truth makes all the difference in the world. So can I tell you six things that that means for your life, that you've been adopted into God's family? Let me give you six things that means. First thing is this, you are chosen. You are chosen. Paul says that God chose you before the creation of the world, that God knew that you were gonna be in his family. Listen, I've heard of an unplanned pregnancy but I have never heard of an unplanned adoption. God wanted you. Uh, My wife, Rebecca, uh, she's the only biological child in her family, each of her older two siblings are adopted. Now, Rebecca's the youngest. Any youngest kids in here this morning, any youngest? Okay, yeah, you guys think you rule the world, don't you? (laughs) Spoiled rotten. And so, you know, Rebecca, like all the youngest kids, goes back and forth with her siblings, talking about how she's the favorite child, you know, to which point her siblings say, yeah, well, at least they chose us. And I think it's a pretty good comeback. (laughs) (laughs) God chose you. You know what that means? That means if God's got a calendar, he's got your birthday circled. If God's got a fridge, he's got your picture hanging on the front. If God drives an SUV, you're the honor student on his bumper sticker. (laughs) If God's got a heart tattoo on his shoulder, he's got your initials inside. God chose you. He wanted you. He didn't just begrudgingly let you into his family. He wasn't surprised by it. He wanted you from the get-go. That's the first thing, God chose you. Second thing is this, you have a father. You have a father. Paul says elsewhere in Galatians chapter 5 that because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Now, Abba is how a little Jewish baby would say, Dada. You have a dad. You have a heavenly father in heaven who loves you. Now, I'm aware that as we're using this family metaphor today, some of you grew up with deeply dysfunctional family experiences. And some of you have have fathers who inflicted a whole lot of pain on you. And that's a difficult word for you to hear. And even those of us who grew up with good um, earthly fathers, uh, there were still times that they were too busy. And there were still times where we wondered whether or not they were actually listening to us. And there were still times that they didn't give us the affirmation that we needed. And those of us who are fathers, we know that try as we might, we're gonna fail our kids in all those ways too. But the good news is for you and for your kids and for your grandkids, they have a perfect father in heaven. You have a perfect father in heaven who's always with you, always ready to listen to you, who's always ready to shower you with his affection. You are chosen and you have a father. And the third thing is this, you have a family. You have a family. And notice that throughout this text, Paul's not using individual language here. This is communal dialogue. This is is family talk. He's saying, hey, God chose us. We've been adopted. Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer by saying, our Father in heaven, not just my Father in heaven. Listen, when you are saved by God's grace, you are adopted into God's family. So look around the room here real quick. Just look around the room. It's okay, look around the room. You don't have to look at me, look around. Like it or not, you're stuck with us. (laughs) Like these are the people you're gonna be spending eternity with, so you better get used to it right now, okay? And like any family, we got some weird uncles, and we got some crazy cousins. (laughs) But I'm thankful that we get to do this thing called faith together. You're chosen, you have a father, you have a family. The fourth thing is this, you have an inheritance. You have an inheritance. And my in-laws have started having the conversation with us now about what's going to happen after they're gone. So we're talking about the estate and all this stuff and dividing everything up and all that. And, and do you think that just because my wife, Rebecca, is the only biological child, her adopted siblings are going to get cut out of the will? No, as much as she might like that, they're not, you know? <laughs> kidding you know they're, they're walking around with great confidence and great assurance saying yeah I'll take the pool table I'll take the motorcycle when you die can I have the kitchen table like they know they're gonna get what's coming to them and you can have that same amount of confidence because Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 he says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children that means part of the Holy Spirit's job in your life is when you doubt to just remind you that you're a child of God Paul says, now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Remember, we are in Christ. So when you got adopted into this family, you are going to get to inherit everything that Jesus inherits. Jesus is the son, but you get to benefit from his inheritance. That means that alongside him, you're gonna get to inherit resurrection. Resurrection. That alongside him, you're gonna get to inherit new bodies in a new remade world without sickness or mourning or crying or pain. That means that not only that, we're gonna get to reign with him over the new creation. Everything that Jesus inherits, we're gonna inherit too. And the fifth thing is this, you have assurance. In case you ever doubt, here's what Paul says in Ephesians 1:13 and 14. He says, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That means that the presence of the Holy Spirit in your heart right now, guiding you, comforting you, convicting you, that is the proof that you are in Christ, that Christ is in you and that you will receive the inheritance he has promised you. God's not gonna change his mind. He's not gonna back out on the adoption. He's keeping you. You're chosen, you have a father, you have a family, you have an inheritance, you have assurance. And the sixth thing is this, you are forgiven. You're forgiven. We're gonna close right there. I'm gonna invite my friend Jake to come on out here with me right now. Uh, Jake's part of our church. He's a really multi-talented guy. He's a super smart guy and Jake has a unique skill. Jake is really good at solving Rubik's Cubes. Now. I am really not good at solving Rubik's Cubes. The only way I could do this is if I took the stickers off and rearranged them, right? But the great part about having a friend like Jake is no matter how many times I mess this thing up, he keeps fixing it over and over and over and over and over again. Every time I mess up, he takes it back and he fixes it. And that's what Paul says. That's what the forgiveness is like that we get from God because we are in Jesus. Look at this, Ephesians chapter one, verses seven and eight says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The family that you have been adopted into is a wealthy family. They are rich in grace. Now, I grew up in a family of six kids, which is kind of like growing up in a pack of ravenous wolves. <laughs> and... You know, and, and we were living on a minister's salary, so we weren't poor, but we, like, we didn't have much extra to go around. You know, we drove old cars, we wore hand me down clothes, and all that is great. It's totally fine. But it also meant that mom didn't buy snacks. Like, we didn't have Oreos in the house, we didn't have pop, we drank skim milk, we didn't get to eat the cool, fancy, colorful kinds of cereal with prizes in the box that all my friends got. We got store brand Cheerios, the plain kind that tastes like sawdust. Anybody else here know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But, thank you, I'll mess it up again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the good news for me growing up was that my best friends growing up were my cousins, Brian and Ben. And, and all summer long and a bunch of weeks and weekends, I'd go up to work on the farm with Brian and Ben and I'd get to stay at their house. And I'd get to go on vacation with their family. And my Uncle Matt and Aunt Laura are here today. And let me tell you, things were different in their family. When we went out to eat, we didn't even have to order off the dollar menu. Like, I didn't even know there was another menu, you guys. Like, we got to get Coke with our meals, and their house was just this land overflowing with milk and honey. The cabinets were stuffed full of little Debbies, and the fridge was stocked with chocolate milk and Mountain Dew. And I even knew where the drawer was that hid the secret stash of beef jerky. Like, it was awesome. Loved it. And I can remember the day that my Aunt Laura initiated me into their family and she came up and she said, Luke, I'm not gonna get you your snacks and your drinks anymore. You know where they are. You can get them yourself. And I swore I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Like, (laughs) this is amazing. And the family that you have been adopted into is a rich family, Paul says, rich in grace. And you know where to find it. There's an author named Dane Ortlund in his book Gentle and Lowly and he says this. He says, God, thank you. Yeah, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) He's not gonna be my friend anymore after this, is he? (laughs) Dane Ortlund says, God is a billionaire in the currency of mercy and the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to grow greater, not less. You know, you and I keep messing up over and over and over again. I keep trying to have a perfect day and I ain't had one yet. But the good news is that every time we bring it back to him, there's still more grace to go around. Do you get it? Let's try it one more time. (laughs) And there is more grace in God than there is sin in people. John chapter one, verse 16 says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace Upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. You know what this means? This truth that the grace of God is the good news you need, that you've been adopted through the grace of God into his family, that you were chosen. You have a father, you have a family, you have assurance, you have an inheritance that you're forgiven. This means that you are not somebody that nobody wants. This means that you are not somebody who has to wonder if this time you've gone too far, if this time God's forgiveness is gonna run out on you. This means that you are not somebody who has to sit back while everybody else has all the fun and you get left out while everybody else gets the good life. This means that you are not somebody who has to do life alone and that you're just stuck out in the cold by yourself. This means that you are not somebody who is stuck in old hurts and habits, unable to grow or to change. This means that you are not somebody who is defined by your worst moment. And this also means that you are not somebody who's defined by your best moment, This means that you are somebody who is defined by the God who made you and the God who sent his son to save you and the God who through his great and glorious grace has adopted you into his family. And that's the good news that you always need most. And you know what? It's all free. Guess how much I'm paying Jake to do this. (laughs) Not a dime. (laughs) Everybody tell Jake thank you. Back in 1965, color television came to West Germany for the very first time. And the newspapers were talking about it for weeks ahead of time, talking about the big day when color TV is gonna come. And so the families, when the day came, were all waiting eagerly in their living rooms by their television sets. But the day after, the television station just kept getting complaints over and over again. Hey, why is my TV still black and white? It's broke. Somebody come fix this thing, it's, it's not working. And so one by one, the television station had to send out letters patiently to each customer saying that actually they were in fact broadcasting in color, but that each household's ability to see in color depended on their equipment. They didn't have a broadcasting problem. They had a reception problem. And when Jesus died on that cross, he offered grace to everybody. And he extended the offer to everyone who's ever lived of adoption into his family, but most did not receive him. Most still reject him. John chapter one says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God. And so my question for you this morning is this. Will you receive him? Um, If there are those of you in the room this morning and, and you're not sure if you're in Christ or maybe you know you're not in Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, I want you to know that there is grace that is waiting for you and you have a father in heaven who is excited to adopt you into his family. And we would love to talk with you. I'll be up here the rest of the service, or you can always go to mypcc.info, fill out the baptism card, or talk to a godly friend, talk to a group leader. But God is waiting to shower you with His grace, and we want you to know Jesus so that you can know the joy of being adopted into His family. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, if you are in Christ, if you have received Him, then we get to receive Him all over again together, like we do every week where we come to this moment and the bread and the juice remind us week in and week out that the grace of God is always the good news we need most. And we'll take this little piece of bread and we'll be reminded of Jesus's body that was whipped and beaten and nailed on a cross so we could experience that forgiveness over and over and over again. And we'll take this little piece of, this little cup of juice, it represents his blood and we will thank him for washing us clean from our sin, for adopting us into his family. So I'll give you a moment now to take the bread on your own. And then in a couple moments, we'll pray together and we'll take the juice together as we taste his grace. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.